So we're in Luke chapter 2. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, once again, we just say that we're grateful and in need. Uh, please speak to us from your word and challenge us and encourage us and allow your word to do what you've called it to do this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Some things haven't changed, like Christmas, the Christmas story hasn't changed. Unlike weddings in 2020, we had our first wedding here earlier in the year. It was Stuart and Fifi, and uh, there was our first wedding in this centre with uh, all five of us. So some things haven't changed, but weddings have in this 2020 year that's been quite extraordinary. I find it a privilege to marry people. It is uh, just such a wonderful opportunity. And and I always give people, uh, I guess, a tip. I say, with your wedding, sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small stuff because so often the little things that we don't think about have a big impact. One of those small, seemingly small jobs is the job of the sound man at the end. Anyone seen a wedding where it doesn't quite work, where the the minister, is this a personal testimony? (laughs) The minister says that great, you know, everyone's ready, the bridal party's ready, please be upstanding for the announcement of the bride and groom, Mr and Mrs. And everyone cheers and the music goes boom. So this one time, years ago, I did it and the music started with Britney Spears, who many of us wouldn't know, singing, whoops, I did it again. <laughs> and, the, and the bride and groom walked out and I was like, hmm, interesting choice. So later on I said, interesting choice. And they went, no, that was number seven on the CD. It was number two, it was meant to be. So that's my go-to. If I've ever married you and you're here, you would have heard me say, don't play Whoops, I Did It Again. Keep Britney Spears completely away from the CD player. Uh, But I had said this, right, to this couple. They were getting married in Bondi. I can't remember the church. It's a magnificent, big, cathedral-like church with the longest red carpet down the middle you've ever seen. On the day of the practice, and I always get nervous when this happens, the sound guy didn't turn up. And I said, you've got to sweat the small stuff. These are significant little jobs. And then when he turned up, and he was to be up in this sound booth at the very back, up like that, but a long way away, he turned up with this date who he looked very pleased with himself to have on his arm. And I thought, I think you're going to be distracted. I don't think you're listening to me when I'm telling you about the queue. So anyway, this glorious big church with the big aisle ready to go, I said, Ladies and gentlemen, please be upstanding for Mr. and Mrs. Everyone cheers. There's no music at all. And they sort of awkwardly start walking. They get about halfway down the aisle. It's 20 seconds before the the music comes on. Simeon, a righteous and devout man, did not miss his opportunity to play his role in a seemingly insignificant thing in the temple, to give a blessing. But it was a powerful and important couple of words that he was destined to speak. Today, we're going to jump the other side of this amazing Christmas story and look at something that happened just after Jesus' birth 
Obviously, we're going to be celebrating the story of Jesus' birth on Friday, Lord willing. But I hope and pray that we could be challenged and encouraged by this seemingly insignificant part that a man called Simeon played and that we might be inspired to look out for what we've been given to do, to not miss our opportunity. So I guess I want to suggest to you this morning, um, if we want to nail our part in God's story, these four points are some things to remember. Listen carefully, follow the score, wait patiently and execute your part. Sounds pretty obvious, I guess. If you want to nail your part in God's story, and we all do have a part to play, amen? We have a part to play. God has a way of taking people who are insignificant, like a teenage girl called Mary, and grabbing that insignificant person, or like a little young man called David, who was faithful in looking after the sheep. God has a way of picking people who don't realise that they are significant. Because if they're available to God, they can be used for great things. Listen carefully. In the lead up to the birth of Christ, God the Father has been silent for how many years? 400 years. And that means that there is no record of him speaking through the prophetic voice. We don't have any scriptures in that 400-year period. Um, Yet a lot has been happening. The, the power in the world has moved from the Persians to the Greeks to the Romans. There have been huge ideas about society that have popped up out of Athens. This bunch of very brilliant philosophers in Athens um, changed the world with their thoughts about how society should be run. The Roman government um, brought order like had never been seen with their road system and their way of governing um, all throughout the Mediterranean. Yet there were these people of God, these Israelites, who were listening. They were waiting for God to finally act again and bring Messiah. And Simeon is one of them. We're not told how long he's been listening. We're just told that the Holy Spirit has spoken to him, so he's listening. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he had a job to do. He would in fact see the consolation of Israel. That means the comfort of Israel. The answer to the longing of their heart that the problem of sin would be fixed. God's Messiah, God's Saviour would come and fix this problem the world has called sin. We don't know how he received this, um, this calling, but we know he did. And he must have been listening. It says in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Listening gets instruction he responds. Mary listened, didn't she? We had the sermon last week, the Magnificat, that wonderful song that Mary sang, that Rach preached. Uh, Mary listened and believed. Zechariah listened. It took him a bit longer to believe, but he did. So how's your listening? Anyone feel like that's been asked here a few times in the last few months? It's intentional. <laughs> We've been studying the Gospel of John and there is this great line that Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. 
My sheep listen to me. Because if you can't listen well, your faith won't grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. We need to be good at listening. We talked about conversational intimacy as a way of journeying with the Lord through life that is essential. I think I've asked this before, but I wonder if some of us can relate to 400 years of silence. There was 400 years of silence. You go through seasons like that, don't you? And you think, oh, it doesn't feel like the Lord has spoken to me for a while. Has anyone, I won't ask you to raise your hand here, but you can if you want. Has anyone discovered that when you keep saying no to God through disobedience, it gets harder and harder to hear his voice? Disobedience, when he convicts us, when he says, you know, that's not the best way to live. You won't find life on the end of that way of living, those habits. When we say no, it's like we turn up the white noise, don't we? And and then you, you can't hear anything. And there's... Not much chance of intimacy, conversational intimacy. So, first of all, I just want to encourage us all to, as we come into a new year, to say, God, would you speak? Your servant is listening. And often what he'll say is, okay, let's get rid of that junk and that junk. Throw off all that hinders, all that easily entangles, the sin that so easily entangles. And fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So... Listening is linked to obeying. I I loved hearing years ago in a small group I was in how one of our members took this idea of listening into the workplace and it was just part of her regular rhythm. So she's a doctor and she said all the time, I say, Lord Holy Spirit, would you speak to me when she's diagnosing what's wrong with a patient? She's like... I don't know exactly, I've got a good idea, but I don't know exactly what questions to ask to find out what is going on here. So she says, Lord, would you guide me, prompt me? And she says, regularly, I will have some idea that's a little bit left field and I've just committed myself to say, I'm going to listen in the workplace to the voice of God and see what he wants me to do, what my opportunity to serve is because I've been listening. And she says, it, it, it regularly takes me down pathways that I never would have gone down. Anyone know what that's all about? In the workplace, can I encourage you, listen, because what we've been called to do is not just on a Sunday morning or night. It's all week. We've got these Simeon jobs to do and it comes out of listening. Second truth is this. If we're going to nail our part, um, we need to follow the score. And it's what we see in this Christmas narrative. Well, I've got a score here. It's an interesting score. It's called The Marriage of Figaro. And you know, I've mentioned before, my dad was a singer. He's an opera singer for 40 years at the Opera House. And this is one of his scores, and which I find really interesting. So he's Bartolo. And um, I just dug this up again um, this week. And I was like, oh, isn't that cool? There are these little uh, pencil markings. Um, enter upstage, stop when you see so-and-so. So this is the, the opera, Marriage of Figaro, and then there's these other parts somewhere along here where, just like you would if you're in a, a local thing, you've got highlights on where your lines are. And so everybody's got a score to follow. We come and we watch the opera, Marriage of Figaro, but sometimes you don't think everyone's got one of these. 
the orchestra and you've got a conductor and they're, they're making it all come together and say, no, not now, not yet, now come in. Everyone's got their part to play to follow the score. Joseph, Mary's husband, is following the score. And part of following the score means that he doesn't disobey the laws of the land. He's meant to head on down to his birthplace. And so he does. He moves down um, to Bethlehem for the census. And in so doing, isn't it interesting, that seemingly mundane act of submission to the laws of the land, to the score, lands him in the place where all the prophecies are going to start unfolding. If he doesn't follow the score and do the right things, oh, I'm not going to do that. History doesn't work out the way that it should. Even now, um, to set up Simeon's song, Joseph and Mary need to be continuing to follow the score of being a Jew. The Old Testament talks about them going to the temple for sacrifice. So basically, if you meld Matthew's nativity story with Luke's, you've got Joseph and Mary obediently traveling 100 k's from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Maybe they land in Bethlehem a couple of days before Jesus is born. It's not necessarily an animal barn, but the word is lower floor room. Um, could have had animal, animals in there um, from time to time. Shepherds get summoned, we'll talk about this on Friday, uh, by the angel to come and witness the birth of the child and um, in an animal feeding trough, they arrive, there he is, born, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus is born. And on the eighth day, they've got to circumcise Jesus as a Jew. Why would you worry about doing that? It's because we're following the score. And uh, this could have happened back in Nazareth or maybe they stay in Bethlehem and they get him circumcised in Bethlehem. If they stay there, verse 22 says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Mary had just given birth. Following the score meant that even though she had received all these prophecies about her baby, she was so special, she wasn't above fulfilling all of the rules of the Old Testament. She was unclean for 40 days after the birth of her son. She had to go to be purified at the temple. She also has to offer her firstborn son to the Lord in keeping with the teachings of Exodus 13. Every firstborn animal or human has to be offered to the Lord to honour what God did for Israel back in Egypt. So normally two sacrifices for a couple like Joseph and Mary are required, a burnt offering and a sin offering. Um, these were all about remembering that human beings are sinful and in need of God's rescue and grace. If you could afford it, you'd use a lamb and a dove, but because of their poor status, Mary and Joseph used two young pigeons. How insane is this that Mary goes and offers an offering because her, her, her son needs purification? He's the son of God. Do you get the feeling of following the score? They don't need to do that. Jesus didn't need to be baptised. But he is because there are certain things that God just wants us to do. It's the right thing. And I want to suggest to you, when we do the right thing, 
We put ourselves in that place where you just never know what might happen. The thing that feels totally insignificant and mundane and an act of submission that I can't be bothered doing. God turns up in those moments and he makes them significant. Simeon is in the right place at the right time because he's happy to serve in the temple. If you want to nail your part in God's story, you've got to follow the score. So what does it mean in our lives to follow the score? What would it mean for us to follow the score? Listen carefully, follow the score. I want to suggest that uh, following the score is giving thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for your life. Amen? Following the score is giving honour to God for his goodness every day. It's living with this posture of worship and also a posture of faith, believing that God wants to do stuff in this world through me. But that can only happen if I believe that he exists and he's real and he's close and he wants to use me. It means coming under God's word regularly, even when you don't feel like it, doesn't it? That's following the score. Praying regularly. Communing with our creator because we're the created and that's just the way it should be. It's not forsaking meeting together because it's part of the score on the Lord's day. The people of God meet. They go, hey, there's a rhythm every seven days. We're going to remember this. Jesus rose again on Sunday. We're not going to forsake meeting together. As Hebrews says, we're going to keep coming together and we're going to offer from our resources that God has given back to God. We're going to say, God, here's something of what I have to offer, be it time, treasure, talent. God, use it for your glory. I want to be part of your mission in word and deed to use the gifting you've given me to be part of the gospel going forward. It's revering the name of Jesus, not getting um, blasé about the name but saying, no, I will honour the name. It's obeying the laws of the land, isn't it? Actually obeying the laws of the land. So we uphold the name of Jesus as law-abiding citizens, unless it contravenes the Bible. We represent Jesus wherever we are and whatever we're doing. That's following the score. So this is what Joseph and Mary and Simeon are doing. They're doing a long obedience in the same direction, and some of that will be mundane. But the significant calling that we're meant to execute will be probably sitting right there in the midst of the seemingly insignificant. Do you agree? So often, that's where it is. Simeon and Joseph and Mary and Zechariah have all been following the score. And it means to wait patiently if you follow the score. I was having a look in here and uh, this part Bartolo, there's pages and pages and pages that don't have any highlights. There's a lot of waiting, isn't there? You can just jump up and start singing an aria, but everyone's going to go, what are you doing, mate? Sit down. And that's often what happens when we clamber for the, the spotlight and God's like, I'll give you something to do. 
Wait for my timing. Verse 27 says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. That's a moment in history, isn't it? Yeah, imagine being that bloke. It just blows your mind. What? I'm, I'm holding God incarnate? But doesn't it also show us how important words are? That moment wasn't going to be missed by God the Father. There were words of blessing and announcement that needed to be professed. And a human being with vocal cords and oxygen moving through there and lungs and air and, and a tongue and lips, they were used in all their brokenness to speak out that which would honour God resounding throughout the universe. And Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the first declaration that it's all happening. The light has dawned. The gospel's going out. This is at the temple. This is the portal between heaven and earth. We know post-Jesus, death and resurrection and the giving of the Spirit that the portal between heaven and earth is anywhere. But here the main portal between God and his presence is, and the earth is at the temple, that nexus point. Simeon's right there representing God. He's a watchman waiting for the moment in time that he has to execute his call. And he's looking for the son of righteousness. And the sun is rising and his job is well done. He holds Jesus and he says the words that herald the earth-shattering shift in salvation history. A light has come for more than the Jews. This baby is the beginning of the good news for all the world. Genesis 12, 1-3 is fulfilling now. I will bless you to be a blessing to all nations, every people group that calls us, us and them, them, every ethnos, I'm going to reach them all. It's the fulfilment of Genesis 3, 15. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. This is it. The light has come. But he's been waiting patiently for years for this. I'm not sure as I reflect on it that there are... Many more important skills in, in life than patience. Learning how to wait well. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. It doesn't matter what season you find yourself in life. There'll be something you're waiting for. And immaturity tends to always err on the side of impatience. And maturity errs on the side of patience. Waiting. So what are you waiting for? It's a funny thing, but it's so true, isn't it? Some of us are waiting to die. And what a significant season that is in life. It is dawning on you. One of my next biggest 
rites of passage is I'm going to die. I'm going to go through into the next life. And for some of us, you've got to that point where that more than not fills you with joy. And you're looking forward to that. And there'll be a celebration as you move through and meet others. Some of us are waiting for others to die, and that's maybe harder. Or maybe some of us are waiting to fall pregnant, waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to turn up. It's, they're tough seasons, aren't they? Waiting for God to rescue our loved one who is now walking in the darkness. And we're just praying, God, bring him back. Some of us are waiting out to be released into our calling. You know you're gifted in certain ways. And it's like, oh, look, come on. Let me go. Let me add it. And Simeon would have felt that. But it's life, isn't it? Waiting for justice to be granted. And the Psalms give us some language to use around that. And it's pretty raw. And it's okay. Waiting for vindication to be given by the Lord. For safety to be provided. What is God allowing you to live through so that you could be in a place to execute his will at just the right time in just the right way with just the right skill set? Let me ask you that again. I think that's an important question. What is God allowing you to live through so that you could be in a place to execute his will at just the right time in just the right way with just the right skill set? Jesus learned obedience through what? Suffering. The final point I think I would like to make is um, execute your part. You wait patiently, but you want to execute your calling, your part. Simeon did. Simeon makes this incredible missiological announcement. The good news is going to be for all nations, not just Israel. It's happening. It's starting. The, The dawn has begun. And then he delivers this spoken prophecy. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. This child's going to cause people to be resurrected. Resurrection's coming through this child. Israel have been waiting for resurrection for hundreds and hundreds of years. The prophet Simeon says, this child's the one who's going to cause it. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Aren't they probing words when you think of the last 2,000 years of history? It's what Jesus has done. The boy Simeon is holding is going to alter the world and cause the resurrection of the dead, some to judgment forever, others to eternal life. This little boy, his calling will involve suffering and there will be suffering for Mary. There will be swords to pierce souls. Powerful words at just the right time. It's a great story just sitting there in the narrative of Christmas, isn't it? Simeon. I think Gary was, we were talking about it this week. He gets a good rap, doesn't he, Simeon? Most people aren't that well represented. He's like Melchizedek. He just sort of pops up. 
righteous and devout man. Well, in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about God's mysterious way that he has equipped the church. He says there are prophets and there are shepherds and teachers and apostles and evangelists, these five groupings. And they're very important, these different giftings, these callings for the church. What I find really interesting is Simeon didn't just come out and shepherd pastorally care for Joseph and Mary in the temple. He comes, oh, I love your baby, beautiful eyes, look. Aren't you, you know, just loving on them like a pastor would, like a shepherd. He's a prophet and he's got some words to speak out. And that's true for us. You're not going to do the same thing as me. And I, we're different. We have different roles to play at different times. Amen? So Simeon was the prophet. He has something he had to do. And Anna does something similar just a little bit later. But we have to be ready and focused and listening and understanding, God, how have you wired me through my gifting and my education and my experiences there's a story that's uh, completely in, politically incorrect these days, but I think it's appropriate and fair to share. Um, imagine back in the day when there were lots of whales around and people would chase them um, in little rowboats. You're chasing, you know, it's Moby Dick style stuff and they're, you know, rowing away and one guy's got the harpoon. But after a couple of days, the guy on the harpoon's like, oh, give me some, an oar to row with, like this harpoon holding. I want to do something. So gets a bit impatient, puts down the harp, harpoon and starts rowing. And what happens? The, there's the whale. Where, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Where's, what that guy's meant to be is what's called the poised harpooner. I'm waiting to do my job. Now let's forget about that inappropriate uh, it's a little story. That's our calling, isn't it? To, to know what am I meant to do, Lord, in your kingdom? <clears throat> How have you gifted me? What can I do that most of the time brings you honour? And then be ready to execute it. Do you reckon nerves are associated with executing your part in the kingdom? Or is it, are you just in the zone and, and, and it's just, hey, no nerves at all? This is a genuine question. Who reckons there are nerves when it comes to executing your part? Half, half? I reckon there are because I look at my Lord, the Lord Jesus, and his blood pressure is so high in the Garden of Gethsemane that he's sweating blood. He's like, Lord, Father, I'm nervous about this. This is the moment I've been waiting for, <clears throat> for eternity. And he has to go and suffer. He's born at Christmas, but it's for these 33 years of a perfect life. Talk about the insignificant being significant. You know, he has this little temptation. He thinks, oh, the devil's like, just give in for this one temptation. But Jesus knew, no, I can't give in once because every little thing is significant because I'm meant to be the holy lamb of God. And that's what he does. He takes this perfect life and, yeah, he was <clears throat> circumcised and, and gone to be purified and presented at the temple and he gets baptised as an adult and Matthew says he did everything to fulfil the law. And 
he patiently let them do all that they did to him that we celebrated Easter. Scourging his back with the, the whip and nailing him to a cross. And then he was put in the grave and he had to wait patiently for the three days to be up. And, and we can't understand what that means. It doesn't sound like that long in the grave, but there was an eternity in it. He had his calling that he had to fulfill and he did it perfectly and we give him all honour this morning. Amen? For being our hero. The one who executed his part at just the right time. Some of us are here today or online and you're listening and I want to encourage you to keep waiting and execute your part to the glory of God. And will that feel probably mundane in the waiting? Yep, I reckon. And will the, the time to execute your part for that season of your life, will it come at an inconvenient time? Probably. Probably. Because that just tends to be the way God does it. Get ready. Maybe some of us need to work on our listening. Maybe some of us need to believe again that we could possibly have a part. Have you done so much in your life that you think, oh, I'm finished, I'm spoiled goods? Well, you don't know the gospel then. Because the gospel says we can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And we are completely right in God's eyes. So we come back, we repent, we confess our sins, we say, God, I'm so sorry, I have not done the right thing. I've been disobeying you. Thank you for the blood of Christ. I need to be clothed and I know you've clothed me. Here I am, your servant is listening. Leanne gave me a beautiful picture to finish this message off. Years ago, I remember she shared it. She was working in a Christmas concert. You know, lots of kids. She was doing some of the kids' stuff. So she's dressed in black and she's off the side. Anyone ever done this? You've got the kids with you. And they've got a part to play. But, you know, like you're, you're the parent helping and you've sort of got, you, you know, the score and you're like, not yet, not yet. And the little kids, the little three-year-olds, are just, <laughs> just ready to run on. Not yet, no, no. And then it's like, Now. And they run on and they're the stars or something. And it's this wonderful picture. It's a good thing to be anxiously waiting to do something in the kingdom to bring Jesus glory. But let's wait and listen and follow the score and then execute our parts to the glory of God. And we've got a part to play this, uh, this week in uh, Friday. We, um, <clears throat> we have a, a Christmas service. Maybe you've got a family member or someone who could join us online and uh, come under the sound of the gospel for the first time in years. Maybe that's your job to do. Um, there are lots of other jobs to do in this Christmas time where people are needing hope. You reckon people might be needing hope right now? It was the worst day in, in the virus this, um, this week. More people died in one day across the world than all year. So we're not out of the woods yet. People need hope and uh, we have words of hope to share. 
Can I just ask you, because this is a moment for me to pray, um, who would love to have prayer today? Just raise your hand. And this is to help you. I'm just going to ask God to bless you with patience and the ability to hear his voice to execute your part. Uh, if you feel like you need that, do you want to just raise your hand? Awesome. Lots of us. If you want to stand, those who put your hand up, please stand. Let's pray. You just stand where you are. You might like to uh, raise your hands or open your hands out to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory. Look at your people here. We're standing because we, we just we want to hear your voice. Some of us uh, can relate to those seasons that we're in. and Some of us are at the end of our tether. And others are ready to go. You know all of that. And so I just ask, Lord, in your name, would you bless my brothers and sisters? Would you pour out your spirit and anoint for ministry in the name, your name, the name that is above every other name? Would you provide the spiritual gifts these people need? Make manifest in them the gifts required for the calling you have given them. Lord, I pray for courage for those that have words to say. You know you have words to say. And I feel like the Lord is saying, speak them with gentleness and respect and love. For some of us, we have things to stop doing. Ventures to begin. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you empower like only you can do? We want to be used by you. We want to live lives that give all the glory to the Lord Jesus. Would you receive glory from these lives? In your name we pray. Amen.